Amen. Good morning. See, that's kind of a weak response. I'm used to a very emphatic, very, very uh, energetic group of students. So in order to make me feel a little bit more at home, you guys can feel free to like whisper to your neighbor, be texting the whole time. That way it just feels like I'm a youth group. It'll be good. It'll be good. Well, man, I, I want to first just thank Jeremiah, uh, obviously, for giving me the opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, I get to kind of talk on some stuff that really is pretty near and dear to my heart. Uh, but really, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, take the opportunity to, number one, thank you guys as a church, because you guys have been super welcoming. I mean, fantastic. Uh, you know, for those of you guys who don't know, my, my wife and I just came on staff about three months ago. Uh, and really, the outpouring of love for you guys, from you guys has been fantastic. You guys have been so welcoming of us and our, our brand new daughter who turns one month tomorrow. Uh, you guys have just been fantastic. So thank you guys. Just, just from, from my wife and I, you guys are truly, truly a blessing to us. So we just thank you for that. Uh, this morning, uh, I don't know if Jeremiah knows this or not, um, but this morning is actually my first time uh, ever preaching on a Sunday morning. So... Very exciting, very exciting. We're both, we're both along for the ride, it'll be good. Uh, but I remember my first, the first time I did a baptism, uh, I was really nervous because we were on a, a summer trip with some students uh, outside of uh, Myrtle Beach, and so we were really excited, and we had a student who got saved, and we were going to come back and do a big baptism service at the church that Sunday we came back, uh, but she was actually leaving, she was moving the day we got back, she was getting in the moving truck, and, and they were going to a whole other state. So we did it in the ocean, and unfortunately, it was not a calm, picturesque day at Myrtle Beach. It was literally waves, probably, you know, from the floor up to here, just, just crashing in, just crashing in. So we're all like, yeah, we'll be really tough. We'll go out and do this baptism, and I'm kind of nervous because it's my first baptism, and so we go out. And I, I promise you, man, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to not be knocked over. And, not be, and so we got, you know, 40 students out doing it. And so we're, I'm trying to dunk her like this. And eventually this giant wave just crashes in. And literally 40 kids just go flying, you know, it's a mess. So hopefully my first time speaking on Sunday morning is nothing like my first baptism experience. Let's hope. Let's hope. Man, I, I love student ministry. I, I, I have the privilege... Uh, of taking over uh, after the fantastic uh, program that Steve has built uh, here at Brown Corners. And uh, it's truly an honor. I love student ministry. I knew as a middle school student, as a middle school student in seventh grade, that God wanted me in student ministry. I really didn't quite know what that meant, what that looked like, and it took me a while to kind of walk, walk through how God wanted me to do that. But I knew as a middle school student that, man, I wanted to be a youth pastor. I wanted to be able to walk through some of these, these fundamental cha- life-changing experiences that students have, to be able to walk through that and speak God's truth into that. I wanted to be a part of that. I wanted to be a part of that. And so uh, it's, been, it's been a fantastic uh, just job figuring that out. And I, I, I truly have the best job uh, in the church. I get paid to have fun. So it's, uh, it's, a, good, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I mean, I love hanging out with students because really, it's easy to kind of play them down. It's easy to look at students and say, man, I know what it's like to be a teenager. Like, man, just calm down. Like, 
it's all right, like, relax. And I think there's, there's an element of truth to that. But I, I will say, I will say that, that students today, students in 2015, are facing way more than I faced. I graduated high school. I'm going to date myself a little. I graduated high school in 2008. Uh, and even in just those, those few years of difference, those few years of difference, I know. <laughs> even just those few years of difference, though, it's amazing it's amazing what all has changed in a student's life. It's amazing how having this in their pocket is such a huge blessing, but such a huge curse. And, and it's amazing the, the doors and, and all the issues that are unlocked simply because of having our phones right here. Having our phones right there. And so students are truly facing so much uh, then, then we can't even understand. They're facing more and more distractions uh, and unfortunately facing more distracted relationships as well. This morning I want to kind of look at some what I believe are fundamental choices that we all as believers have to make. And these, these are kind of coming from a student ministry perspective, but these are choices that are, are applicable in any stage of life, no matter who we're interacting with. These are some choices that I believe we have to, we have to uh, understand. Because at, at its core, at its core, everyone wants the same things. Wh- whether you are 90 years old or 9 years old, we all want the same things. We all, as people, want to feel loved. We have this innate desire to be loved. And we spend so much of our lives chasing after that. That no matter where we are in life, we want to be loved we want to be heard. We need to feel important. We have to feel important. We have to have some kind of purpose to, to life. And again, whether you're a high school student, middle school student, or well beyond those years, we all have to figure out what it is. What's our purpose? And, and lastly, I think we all want to be included. We all want to be a part of something. We all want to feel welcomed somewhere. So it's with those kind of things in mind that I want us to look at uh, these three fundamental choices if you can't, open your Bible up to the book of Titus, chapter 3. I love the book of Titus. Uh, it's, been, it's probably my favorite book of the Bible. Number one, because it's short, and uh, I like that. I like that. But I think it's got a really solid reminder uh, for all believers. So we're going to start in Titus 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. I'm reading from, uh, I believe, the ESV this morning. It says, Paul's writing this letter to Titus, and he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quandering, and to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, Hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. I love, Paul just sums it up really, really nicely. He kind of walks through 
kind of the three steps that we have to walk through in understanding the gospel. Number one, under, admitting that we're a sinner. Admitting that we're a sinner. That's, that's the first step we have to take. That's the first step we have to take. But I think it's fundamental that we don't forget that we had to take that step. Look again at, at verse 3. I love the way that the NLT says it. Titus 3.3. 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. We hated each other. We can't forget that, man, we, we are ourselves are sinners. We can't, we can't get into this mindset that it's somehow because of, I'm, I'm a good person, or it's be, I'm saved because I've been going to church for 20 years, 30 years. That's why I'm saved. Paul's saying, no, that's, that's not it at all. That's not it at all. <laughs> you, you are, we are saved only from God's mercy, from the, from the grace through Christ. And I think it's, it's amazing that as long as there have been Christians, they've needed reminding to get down off the high horse, right? I think it's, it's a common thing. It's, it's the way the church is, is honestly viewed at this point. The church is viewed as, as this group of people who, are, who see themselves as high and lofty among everyone else. And it's, I find it interesting that, that even just a few years after, after Christ, a few years after Jesus was walking the earth, there were people who felt really high and mighty and full of themselves and forgetting the fact that they're a sinner just as much as anyone, excuse me, as much as anyone else. The first choice I believe that we have to look at the first choice is, are we going to see the sin or the person? Are we going to see the sin or are we going to see the person? This is, this is really the classic thing, and I, I believe it's something that we all fundamentally understand, but I also believe it's the first one that goes away. I think it's the first one that we are quick to forget, and we're so quick to look at someone's sin and assume that we know everything about them because of their sin. It's so, it's so easy to fall into that. I remember uh, the first time I met uh, a former student of mine. His name was Dave. And we, we were having a Super Bowl party. And Dave only came because he liked football and there was free food. That was the only reason his mom could really drag him to church. Uh, he, he had no desire to be there. And he sat uh, in kind of that fundamental teenager pose with kind of a flat-brimmed hat and just kind of sat there just like, and you could tell like, okay, this guy, this guy's not one that really wants to be engaged in conversation. (laughs) And so I remember walking up to Dave for the first time and it was like, man, I don't want to, like very clearly he's not looking for conversation. He, He just wants to watch football and eat the giant sub sandwich that we had gotten. Like, that, that's all he was there for. But I walked up, we, we initiated a conversation, and long story short, we went from a guy who was only in church because there was free food, and was using language that you probably won't hear in a church, probably shouldn't hear in a church, to a guy that a year later, I walked into to his room uh, at summer camp, and he's sitting there leading a, a Bible study with his room with eight other guys, he's sitting there leading a Bible study. And it's amazing, it's amazing to me that if we can take a chance on someone, 
if we can initiate a conversation to build a relationship, who knows what doors could be open? Who knows what could be, could be open? I think so often, and I, I want to include myself in this because I absolutely do it, we make assumptions on someone's heart and even their humanity, even their humanity, simply because of what they're wearing, their life situation, where they came from, what sin they're involved in. How, how quickly do we judge someone at the store, our server at a restaurant, at church? Someone walks in, they're wearing something that maybe, maybe shouldn't be worn in a church. Maybe, maybe they, they shouldn't be wearing it, but they are. Does that mean they shouldn't be here? Does that mean they don't deserve the same grace that we've been given? I remember one of my favorite professors uh, at Liberty University, where I studied uh, student ministry, he told us all the time, man, lost people act lost because they're lost. <laughs> lost people act lost because they're lost. It's one of those like, oh yeah, I, like, I, I, somehow it took him saying that to remind me that, yeah, <laughs> when someone comes in, they're not going to know how to act. We want to have students come in. We want to reach the lost, right? As a church, we want to reach the lost. But reaching the lost can get messy. We're going to have people that don't know how to act. We're going to have people that, that are, are doing things, saying things, wearing things that maybe we're not comfortable with. But we have to make a decision as a collective body and say, man, if our goal is to reach the lost, if our goal is to be Christ, to, to live grace, to show love to all these people— then we got to see beyond that. We have to see beyond the sin to see the person. I think, especially with students, this is huge. Because so many times students come in, and they got this, they got this facade on. They got this uber-tough guy, like Dave, walking in with this tough guy thing. And if we can't see past that, if we cannot take the time and say, man, you are worth it. You are worth it. There is a soul that is, that is sitting here. There is a soul that is wearing those clothes. There is a soul that is acting out, however they might be acting out. It's worth our time. It's worth our effort. The second choice is speaking our mind or speaking the truth in love. Speaking our mind or speaking truth in love. Facebook is... <laughs> What I love to call the eternal land of bickering and opinions. Because <laughs> far too often, far too often, that's all it is. That's all it is. It's just people throwing out their opinions and someone disagreeing with them. And, and it's just this long list of comments of people just being nasty with each other. And I think as Christians, as Christians, it's really important for us to understand that speaking our mind is not the same as sharing truth and love. Even if our opinion may be right. Even if our opinion is right, we have to understand that speaking the truth in love is usually not the same as speaking our mind. I've seen some really nasty things on Facebook. Some really nasty things on Facebook. From people who claim to be Christians, bashing political leaders, bashing religions, in a way that really would do nothing other than make people run away from a church. There's, there's a lot of things I've seen that, that do nothing to point people to the love and grace 
that should be offered from the church to share the love of Christ. I see a lot of things that probably just push people away instead of closer. And I think it's important to understand that as Christians, whether it's right or wrong, we're being watched. We're being watched. And I think it's important to note that it's not just people who carry the title pastor or who might work at a church or who might work at a Christian school or involved in some kind of Christian organization. It's not just those people who are the ones that are defining and shaping the view of the church. I think even more than those people, it's, it's, the, it's the general congregations of Christians, the, the, the people who all fall under that umbrella of Christians that are shaping that opinion. I think it's important to understand whether it's right or wrong, whether we should or shouldn't be, I guess it doesn't matter. Because in the, at the end of the day, we need to understand we're being watched. And we need to act accordingly. We need to know that, man, what I'm doing is a representation of the church. Not just Brown Corners. Not just Brown Corners Church. But of the, the capital C, All Christians Church. And your interaction, your comment on Facebook, or whatever it might be, might be the only opportunity that person has to interact with a Christian. You might be shaping the only view that someone has of a church. I love 1 Peter uh, 2.17. That's another uh, short book of the Bible that I really love. Uh, 1 Peter 2.17, I love he just, he, he makes it real simple, real simple. He says, respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the emperor. Four things. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the emperor. Now, does this mean in respecting everyone, respecting everyone, that we're supposed to just roll over on what's true? Because I've had a lot of conversations with folks where we've talked about issues like this, and they say, man, I, I appreciate what you're saying. I think absolutely we need to speak in love. But, <laughs> I love that, but someone's got to tell them, if, if we don't say it, then someone, you know, no one else is going to, so we have to say it. And I think there's a time for that. I think there's a time for that. Sorry, my hair is catching the microphone. <laughs> but no, it's not rolling over on what's true. Read the rest of, of the chapter, chapter two on that very clearly. Peter's not telling us to just roll over on what's true. But respect everyone. And I think it's even interesting, the, the difference between the word respect and love. It's not love everyone, it's respect everyone. Because I think in our society today, we have a, a misunderstanding of what tolerance means. Right? We have this, this, we have to be tolerant. You see the bumper stickers, all that kind of stuff. There's a misunderstanding, I believe, of what that actually means. Because tolerance does not mean blindly supporting someone else's decisions. I believe tolerance at its core means respect. Respect. And I think that's something that we can all get behind. Because no matter if, if you are making a decision that, that is so far away from the truth, because there is truth, there is absolute truth. Please hear that this morning, that there is an absolute truth and standard. And even if you're making a decision that's far away from that, we still need to take an approach of respect in how we handle that. We have to take an approach of respect. It's commanded of us. <laughs> I remember, uh, I guess this was about two years ago, I was walking around uh, North Buncombe High School. 
there uh, just outside of Asheville in North Carolina. And we were, we were walking around. They had kind of a club, a club day. Uh, and they invited a number of churches uh, in the area to come out because basically they just said, man, we want to plug in our students. We want, we want students to be involved in something. So they kind of sent out this general invitation. And as, as I'm walking around, as I'm walking around, it was really interesting to see some of the clubs that were out there. We walked around the Pagan Club, had a, had a table set up with all their, their, their cards and, and fortune-telling business. They had that all set up. You had the Humanist Club, whose big thing was, man, we're, we're good without God. They want to see good people without God. Uh, you had the, I have to look at it because otherwise I'll get it wrong, the Mother Earth Goddess Temple Worshippers Club. The Mother Earth Goddess Temple Worshippers Club. And so I'm walking around, and it's interesting. I had all my stuff, but I hadn't set it up yet. So no one knew who I was. Uh, we didn't really have a whole lot of students there, and so I was just kind of walking around, introducing myself to these folks. And it was funny because you could really tell, you could really tell who the Christians were. Because the Christians were the ones that were kind of taking a step back, and they didn't really want to be involved in any of this. They didn't really want to be involved in any of this. They... They kind of saw this as like, oh gosh, what do we, what do we do? You know, kind of had the, in the, in the South you have those, those Southern Baptists who are kind of standing there holding their Bible like, uh, I don't know what to do, uh, this is uncomfortable, and, and I, I just got a kick out of it, because, because I got a chance to actually talk to some of these people, and, um, and it's, it's amazing how much common ground there actually is. You would think this youth pastor coming in and meeting the, the folks at the pegging club would be this, like, you know, war and these folks that's disagreeing and this comment battle on Facebook. But no, what was really interesting, what was really interesting is I got to see where there's some common ground. It was interesting because the pagan club wants to experience the power of the supernatural. That was, like, their whole goal was to experience the power of the supernatural. And instead of taking this approach of like, that's witchcraft, and I, I want nothing to do with that, I was able to say, you know what? That's really cool, because we have the only link, the only true power of the supernatural, the Holy Spirit. The most, the, the most powerful force, the force in the supernatural, the Holy Spirit. We have access to as Christians. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, man. That's awesome. Like, we can find common ground on that. The naturalists, the earth worshipers, Man, they saw creation, and they're like, man, this is it. we got to worship this. And, and we could come up and say, man, that's cool. Absolutely, God, God used creation as part of his natural revelation of himself. He used creation, designed it, so that we could look at it and see God, to, see, to point us to him. So, yeah, we can come up, we can find common ground on that. That's awesome. I could come up to the humanists who want to see good in people and say, man, that's awesome. We want to see good in people, too. But we know that without Christ, there can be no good. So we, we want to see good in people. There's, there's so many things that we can find common ground on if we're simply looking for the opportunity to. Because instead of starting out a conversation of going, okay, you believe in witchcraft and I don't, and let's talk. You know, like there was no awkward, okay, what are we going to do? We could find common ground. We can find common ground. Because we have so much more in common than we think we do. There's so much more in common that we have in our beliefs, in, in everything, if we just simply take the time to look for it. The last point 
the last choice that I believe we have to make is, are we going to live a lecture or are we going to live a lifestyle? A lecture or a lifestyle? Because I think, I think we need to decide what we're going to do. We need to decide what we're going to do because the world is watching. I've only been skiing a few times in my life, and there's a reason for it. Uh, I'm not very good. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. Um, my body was designed to go very fast down a hill. Uh, <laughs> and so I try to do the pizza thing, and, you know, like, it just, it just doesn't work. And so what usually ends up happening is I have to go down the hill at record speed, and then I kind of have to just throw myself onto the ground to stop myself. Or I, like, kill a group of, you know, fifth-grade kids learning how to ski. Um, but I remember, <laughs> I remember the first time I, I, was, I was skiing, I was going up the ski lift. Um, and it's really easy, you know, as you're kind of sitting up there on the ski lift feeling cool, you know, you got your Oakley goggles on and stuff, and it's like, oh, man, like, look at that guy down there. He just fell. He just fell. Like, oh, ha, there's another guy. He just wiped out, man. And you could feel really good about yourself sitting on a ski lift. And then I got on the hill, and I just totally yard sailed, and, like, stuff everywhere, like ski poles flying, and so all of a sudden I was like, oh, I shouldn't have been making fun of those people, because uh, that was mean. <laughs> and I think it's funny how quickly you can find yourself in someone else's shoes. I think so often we can find ourselves in those moments looking down on someone saying, man, I can't believe you struggled with that. I'd never do that. So quickly we can find ourselves in their position. And if we don't understand that, if we don't take the approach to say, man, we're going to live a lifestyle over a lecture, we're never going to have any impact for, for the gospel in that person's life. I remember uh, the guy who started Liberty University, um, it was a, a preacher named Jerry Falwell. Uh, good things about him, bad things about him, uh, wherever you stand on him. Uh, but he was speaking one time, he was speaking one time, this is something that has always stuck with me, and someone came up to him. He was giving a message, a pro-life message, and uh, a woman came up and asked him afterwards and said, Jerry, that's great. You want, you want to take your stance? That's awesome. But what are you going to do about it? You know, what are you going to do about it? You can tell us all day long that, that abortion is wrong. But if you don't do something, like, what are you going to do about it? And, and so his response was, you know what? You are absolutely right. And from that, he created uh, a home uh, on the campus of the university in, there in Virginia, where, where unwed mothers could come, finish high school, get started in college, uh, learn skills, learn how to be a mother. And instead of just saying, you shouldn't do that, he said, you know what, here's a better alternative. Instead of simply saying, no, that's wrong, he said, man, here's this instead. Here's a better option for you. That, that has stuck with me for a really long time, because I think, I know, that change cannot happen outside of relationship. There are, there are people who are living wrong. There are people who believe lives, absolutely. But if we simply yell and argue and spend our time and money to tell people what we're against, instead of taking time living, giving effort to come up with a solution, 
to come up with an opportunity for us to connect and learn and say, man, how, how did you get in this situation? It's easy to tell people what you're against, man. It really is. But I think if we can, as a church, decide that we're not just going to tell people what we're against, we're going to come up with a way to connect people. We're going to come up with a way to engage people with the gospel, to not just talk about it, man, not just talk about it, but show it. Matthew 28, the, the verse that uh, Route 28 is named after, ends with the Great Commission, ends with the Great Commission. Uh, it's a fantastic verse, but it is far more than simply a verse to throw on a t-shirt when you go on a mission trip, to talk about making disciples in all the nations. The Great Commission is a call to live our lives as Christ lived for everyone around us, starting at home, starting at home, and bring the life-changing message of the gospel to everyone that we encounter, not simply those we like. So my challenge for us this morning is to seek out an opportunity, seek out an opportunity to not just, not just walk past someone, to not just overlook someone and shrug them off because of what they struggle with. But my challenge for us as a church is to take the time to get to know someone. Take the time to say, man, there's a story here. There is a story here. There is a soul that needs saving, and I have the answer to it. If we all took that approach, man, this community, this community would look vastly different. Vastly different. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, number one, Lord, for who you are, uh, God, just, just for giving us the gospel, for giving us an opportunity to know you. God, this morning, as we wrestle with things, and um, God, we, we want to look for opportunities to be your love. We want to look for opportunities, God, to not just talk about it, to not just give money to it, but God, to live it out. God, in this season of holidays and giving, Lord, Lord let us not overlook the importance of being Christ to someone. And God, let us never take for granted the grace, the love, the mercy that was shown to us when we too were sinners. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.